How do you cope and move forward with your lives when you are parents who have lost their only child? You realize that everything has changed and the way you thought the steps and stages of your life were going to go has suddenly been upended. My guest Erin Davis knows exactly how it feels and shares her thoughtful insights on this episode of Executor Help, the podcast. Welcome to the Executor Help podcast, the show dedicated to help you settle an estate, pick an executor, and avoid family fights. For more information, visit davidedy.com. Now here's your host, David Edy. So with me today on the Executor Help podcast is Erin Davis. She's a podcaster. She is actually the first Canadian Broadcast Hall of Fame inductee I've ever had on the show. And she's also the best-selling author of Morning Has Broken. Erin, thanks for taking the time to have this conversation with me. How are you and your husband, Rob, doing? We're doing well. Thank you. Uh, We like to say we're doing the best we can with what we've got. And really, truly, David, what we have is a lot. We wake up grateful every day despite you know the uh, the overwhelming loss that we have suffered but it's a choice that we make to start each day with uh, with gratitude first off I want to tell you your book's a great read it actually takes the reader on a sort of a roller coaster ride of emotions first off I want to ask the question why did you want to share your family story now I know your book's based on an unexpected tragic life-altering loss, and and your daughter Lauren was already in the public eye. Why did you want to write the book? Well, my whole life has been an open book, you know, metaphorically, David, because of being on the air since I was 18 and then being in Toronto morning radio since uh, I was 25. And so everybody kind of went through my life, went through my pregnancy. When When Lauren was born, I did the show from home for three months, so I was off the air for all of one week. And, and, and they heard her grow up on the air. So they all knew her. So when she died suddenly in her sleep after marking her very first Mother's Day on, uh, Mother's Day was the 10th and she died in the morning of May 11th, 2015, people knew. And there were stories that I couldn't believe, but others have backed it up that people were pulling off to the side of the road and crying and others were pulling over and saying, what's wrong and they would hold each other they would hug i know this sounds so crazy but it was happening in toronto when that announcement was made that that she had died because it happened very suddenly and people knew right away because she was in the public eye and it was going to be on social media and was right away so the reason i wrote the story to get back to your initial question was in order to share what happens in these darkest moments of grief and loss and the fact that you can never get over it, but get through it and just how we did it. We were asked to write it by the, uh, by the senior vice president of, um, of HarperCollins who heard me speaking on a talk show. She said, you've got a book in you. And I didn't think I did, but she was right. Yeah, it's a great book. Before we go a little bit further, when I talked about the emotions, there was one part where it had me scratching my head and also sort of laughing because you talk about in the book, you know, three weeks before um, Lauren came early and you talk about how you were in the shopping mall and how your water broke. And I'm listening, I'm reading this. And then you said you went home to decide to make a, a pasta lunch and then you wanted to have a bath because you were determined to be well-groomed for the event. And I was scratching my head because I was thinking when my son came, it was the night before I was, I was supposed to play basketball that night. And my wife at the time, she said, 
my water broke and I looked at her and I said, well, what am I supposed to do? She goes, what do you think we're supposed to do? You go to the hospital. And I'm thinking, no, Erin, she wanted to have a pasta lunch. Why would you not go to the hospital? But that's where the book was so amazing. Um, the, 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 the levity of, you know, building up and talking about Lauren and her life. You, you did such a great job. Thank but you. I, I wanted it to be, you know, like life, full of tragedies and, and stories that make you go, oh, my God, I hope that never happens to me. But also things that people would laugh at and say, that totally happened to me. You know, it's all about being relatable and not taking people down, down, down. I mean, who needs that? Who needs more sadness in their lives? And I just thought, well, you know what? Something has to come of this, some good. And David, every day, every day, I get an email from someone who just read it or is wondering if they should read it because they have just lost a child. So. Uh, it, it, its purpose will go on and through it, so will mine, which is uh, really something I'm grateful for. And tell me a little bit more about Lauren. I mean, you talk so uh, lovingly and, and, and so you should as her mother. What is it you miss about her today and, and what made her so special? Thank you for asking. Um, I, re I remember when Iris was, sorry, <laughs> I'm a little short of breath. I had COVID a month ago, so I don't get quite as much breath as I should when I'm talking. But um, when, uh, when, I, when I was beginning to write the book, Iris said, you better put a line in about, you know, the, the rear view mirror. Things are always kind of rosier in the rear view mirror because nobody's gonna believe this kid was that great. But okay, I did, but she really truly was. She gave us so little angst and, and worry. Um, and a lot of that goes to her dad because you know I was there after doing the morning show and through the afternoons and evenings, but Rob was there with her you know, in the morning, getting her ready for school, taking her to school, giving her breakfast, making her lunch, all of that. And they had such a close, close relationship. He misses most the little girl that he raised. I miss the adult woman who was becoming a mother because we were really starting to connect. She was all of a sudden understanding what my whole journey in media had been because at the time that she died, she was on mat leave from hosting the noon news package on Ottawa's news talk leader, 580 CFRA. And, and so she all of a sudden understood and she understood where I was in the business, too. I remember her saying to me one day, you're kind of a big deal, aren't you? And I went, no. But just to kind of have that sort of, you know, that, that validation from your own child who always kind of looked at you, to have that. And I missed the texts at 3.30 in the morning when Rob would be driving me in to work when we came down from the cottage. And I'd be texting her, she'd be up breastfeeding, and we'd be having this conversation. And oh, it was, it was everything. It was a level of communication I'd never had with her before. And I really, really, really miss that. I miss my friend um, and, and somebody who got me, you know, not many get me. And uh, certainly she did. Yeah. Well, grief is something that everyone handles so differently. And in the book you, you write, you realize that everything has changed. The way that you thought the steps and stages of your life were going to go has suddenly been upended. So how do you carry on each day? You open yourself to possibility. And I mean that by when, when Phil started dating again, her widower, when he started dating again, it was very soon after Lauren's death. And first, our blood ran cold. I mean, it's so soon. 
But then we stopped and thought, okay, what's best for Colin, our grandson who was left behind at seven months old? What's best for him? What's best for Phil? And that became our complete tunnel. You know, what we think of any of this is, is just not, not important here because Colin was the gift that Lauren left us. What is best for him and his father? And with that, by not slamming our hearts and minds shut, we opened up our lives to not only a new daughter-in-law, we have a son-in-law and a daughter-in-law, it's really kind of wacky, but, it, um, but also a granddaughter that Phil and Brooke went on to have. And what's not in the book, and there should be a sequel, honestly, because I went to rehab and that's a whole nother thing, um, is that they moved here to BC to be within six minute drive from our home. So instead of like now we're out in Victoria, we left Ontario because I couldn't live there. Rob and I couldn't live there in the sadness anymore. And they were in Ottawa. They moved here two years ago in the midst of COVID. And now they're close to us and we have sleepovers every Friday night with Colin and we are, you know, camp banana because we're grandma and grand, we're grandma banana and grand dude banana. So there's just so much happiness. And as you can tell, a little insanity, but that also helps things to, to go is just to, to let loose of what you thought life was going to be and say, okay, that happened. Now what? And go on from there. You mentioned a little bit about rehab. Is that where you probably hit rock bottom? Uh, talk, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure, I can. And because I'm not ashamed of it. Um, I hit two rock bottoms. I did one uh, in about 2005. And I mentioned that in the book. And then after that, I was sober for 10 years, which includes Lauren's death. So you had mentioned a little bit about, you know, you went to went through a rough period. Maybe you want to talk a little bit about, in your words, what you think was rock bottom for you? That's, that's a hard question. Because in, in doing a lot of reading, I realized that everybody's rock bottom is different. For some people, it will be that person who's left out in the alley with nothing left and no hope, who gets led into an AA meeting or something. For others, the, uh, the elevator drops to a different floor. I had one rock bottom in 2006, and that was enough to, to make me, you know, just, just stop. And I write about it in the book. I had been honored as being the, uh, the Grand Marshal of the Toronto uh, St. Patrick's Day Parade. And... Uh, let's just say in the aftermath of the parade in a private salon in an Irish bar, I did not conduct myself the way I, I think I should have. I was falling down drunk on this beautiful whiskey they were feeding me. But anyway, it, it all kind of came about. And a few weeks later, it took me still a little while after that to, uh, to, to say, you know, this, I don't have an off switch. So fast forward 10 years. I've done this all on my own. I've done a lot of reading. I'm sober. It's great. And I think that what happened to me could happen to a lot of the people who watch your, po uh, your, your podcast here, who, who seek your help, who read your book, and who are in the process of estate planning. Although we all should do it much younger, a lot of people start considering it later in life. And that is when you retire or stop doing what it was that kept you functioning eight till four or whatever every day, you suddenly go, I don't have any rules anymore. It's like summer vacation. It's like a lot of people felt when COVID hit. I don't have to eat properly. I don't have to watch what I drink. I don't have to, you know, all of the rules are off. 
Plus there's a sense of, of boredom, I think. But for me, it was the fact that I no longer had to get up at 3.30 in the morning. I didn't have to perform. I didn't have to look good. I didn't have to you know, answer all of these demands that I had had to answer for so long. So I thought, well, I wonder if I've got an off switch. And it turns out I don't. So after, let's see, two, three, three years of drinking again, uh, I just, I don't do anything in half measures. If I diet, I'm going to fast and then I'm going to start all over again. If I, if I stop drinking, I'm going to go cold turkey. Um, in this case, I went to see a counselor and they said, you need to work on why you're drinking. And so then I went to rehab for six weeks. So in short answer, I didn't have a rock bottom per se, but it was the voices that were waking me up at 2.30 in the morning saying, you idiot, you are blowing all of this. What are you doing? So I'm grateful for those voices. They might well have been Lauren, but uh, they were my higher self, my higher power saying, smarten up. You've got a long way to go and this is not what's gonna be your legacy. I know for the book, you had one of the endorsements and it was um, by Olivia Newton-John and oh. she recently passed away. How did you get to know each other? Well, uh, I wish I had known her better, but I can tell you that um, when Lauren died, the morning she died, Amy Skye, the singer songwriter uh, who did uh, uh, I Will Take Care of You, you know, um, and, and so many beautiful songs. She and I knew each other because Lauren and her daughter had gone to, to theater camp and, and, and to school um, together. So peripherally, we kind of knew each other. She'd been on the radio show, you know. And so when she heard Lauren had died that morning, she happened to be at Olivia's house with the singer songwriter, Beth Nielsen Chapman, who wrote the beautiful um, Sand and Water, I think is the name of that one, but it's just a, a, a beautiful, beautiful piece about mourning. And so Amy said, oh my God. And she read the text or she read what she saw. And she said, what, what do I say to her? And they said, well, what do you want to say to her? And she said, well, my heart goes out to you. And so this trio who were working on an album called Live On about grief and mourning and how to handle this part of your journey ran to the piano and wrote the song, which leads off the album. And it's called My Heart Goes Out to You. And it's so beautiful. So that was our connection to Olivia Newton-John. And then the year after the album came out, they were doing a tour and they were in Tacoma, Washington, which you can practically see from our house. We went over and uh, we were called upon in the audience when they were performing that song. And then we went backstage and that's where we you know, had the briefest of meetings with Olivia. And of course I already knew Amy and with Beth, Beth Nielsen Chapman. And, uh, and so that's our connection, poignant and, and sad and, and just so memorable because she does such a beautiful job on that song that was inspired by Lawrence. So that's how we knew her. And she was so kind, David, so beautiful, so kind, so, so filled with empathy and sympathy and just giving and loving and everything you would want somebody to be. Yeah, because you, you've, you've been through what's jarring to me and like when I talked about you know the the laughing part where you know you're um, you know the shopping mall but then it's the the morning of when you found out about Lauren and how you had to because you were down in Jamaica and then you had to go back on the air and then what you said to your producer off off the air and then the journey from Jamaica back to 
Toronto to get back what you went through. It, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's just heartbreaking. It's when someone it's, and that's the reason why I wrote my book is, you know, cause of how I lost my parents. When you, when you're, you're grieving and you're mourning, you really don't know where to turn to and things don't seem the same. And, and I can see um, when I was reading, there's all these little incidents, you know, the, the guy who wouldn't uh, give you the ticket to, you know, oh. leave the hotel and then right. the kindness of the, the, uh, the stewardess who said, um, you know, come give you a, a special place. If you, you and Rob need to go, uh, um, you know, grieve all these, right. it, there's all these things. And then on top of that, all this stuff is just going on. I know you've got a, a, a section in the book called purpose, purposeful morning. What is mm-hmm. it? And what is it that made worked for you? Well, purposeful morning, I think, why did you write the story of, of your parents? I'll turn the question back around to you. Why did you write that? Not just as catharsis for yourself, and that can be enough, but, but probably I would imagine to help people. Is that not right? Absolutely. We, right. Uh, that's, it's, it was seven years, 10 court appearances and $50,000 of oh. lawyer's fees to sell my parents' estate and they had a will. So um, They had time, a will. And they had a will. So everybody gives the same face. Um, But, and while I was going through those seven years, I also took time out to have triple bypass surgery because you know, that's what you do when you're going through an estate problem. Yeah. In between court cases. And every time I talk about my situation, uh, another person would tell me about, you know, an executor, they were executor and what they were going through, or I'd hear about a family that broken up. So I didn't want other people to go through what I went through. So that's how I ended up writing my book. Exactly. Purposeful mourning is, I think, what keeps us going. Um, if, if we can, I mean, there are so many stories about people who have taken just the worst event in their life and turned it into activism or fundraising or awareness raising, all of these things. Now, that's not to say that it's, okay, it's not okay to just go home and do your grieving and live out your life. How we handle it is is as unique as you said. There are so many kinds of grief, and there absolutely is as many kinds of love, you know. Um, so purposeful grieving to me is 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 trying to make sense of it all and trying to make some good come out of it. You know, I, I always like the story of the kid who who keeps digging through that pile of manure because they know there's a pony in there somewhere. Uh, you know, it's me going through the coal mine because there's got to be a diamond or I'm going to take the coal and turn it into a diamond. So, you know, it, it, it all depends on, on, you know, what you feel up to. And clearly you were working with a literally broken heart, David. And that's, uh, that's, it's, it's just too clear a metaphor not to, not to notice and pay attention to, but just how awful for you. And I, I hope that it opens some eyes to the importance of improving at least the system or being a part of it. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it, and that's why when I came across your book and, and you know, to, to get, when reading it, you get what the problem, you know, the problems that people go through. Yeah. And I guess, and I didn't even think of, you know, what I'd done and, and what you've done is pers- purposeful mourning because I get emails at my website, um, you know, people talking about how it's helped them to get for them to heal, to not only grieve, but also try to mend fences or try to keep their families from breaking apart. And um, so 
I guess you and I were, were sort of kindred spirits. We're doing, you know, helping others going through what we what we went through. Before I let you go, um, I just became a granddad for the first time about a month Congratulations. ago. And I have no idea what to expect, but I know my Penelope, that's her name, or I call oh. also, also call her P-Baby. Um, <laughs> as I call her, she's become the new light in my life. So you just told me about how, you know, Colin's even closer to you. How is he doing? Because you say it's Camp Bananas. Is that what? Yeah, Camp Banana or Banana Camp. I can't decide which one it is. He is incredible. And David, what you may find, certainly what we found is that because of circumstances that just are what they are, it is Rob, um, grand dude, who has which you may want to borrow. You may want to borrow that because it's Paul McCartney's. So if you want to be grand dude, Oh, good. I like no, I'm, baby. I'm now. going, we're, we're, we're trying it out. We're going with G daddy. G daddy. That is so awesome. That's <laughs> so awesome. Um, okay. So uh, Rob, we just, after a kind of a two year endeavor, Colin is now riding a bike all on his own. Rob has taught Colin how to, how to hit a baseball, which side of the plate he prefers. They have hockey gear. Colin and Rob play hockey in the driveway all the time. This is my 68-year-old husband. I mean, Colin is keeping him young, and Rob is teaching him all of the things that Lauren would have wanted him to teach her. Both of the children will learn how to sew. Again, Rob, not me. Take your stereotypes. Uh, I'm going to teach them how to swear. You know, we all stay in our lane. Uh, actually, no, their their parents are doing great at that. But no, it's it's true. We've we've taken on with joy the opportunities because you know your 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 grandchildren's parents or parent probably is going to be too busy to do all of the things like go to soccer practice or go to baseball or or any of that stuff but that's where g daddy comes in and you are going to be his her Her, her. everything penelope you're going to be her you know she looks at me already uh she loves when i rub her feet and she just looks at me and then she closes her eyes and then she opens up to see who's rubbing her feet and she closes her eyes again. So Aww. to me, I think I'm going to see life, you know, uh, you know, getting older. Life has been in black and white, but I think it's all going to be a whole new set of colors uh, yeah. through her eyes to, uh, yes. you know, everything's going to be new for her. So that's great. Um, is there anything else you want to add to talk about in terms of <laughs> what you went through and what you hope people gain by reading your book? Well, as I say, David, there's uh, there's so much more to tell that's happened in the last six years, but it's all been all, with the exception of rehab, but you know, that ended up with a happy ending too. It's all been positive. Don't give up hope. Don't give up hope and keep your heart open to the opportunity that it's still there. I know that that sounds like a fortune cookie or somebody who is just, you know, taking too many meds, but, and I am, but I'm not taking too many. I'm taking just the right amount, but (laughs) it's so important to, to keep, keep your heart open to hope because it can happen, you know, don't give up. And there's such strength and vulnerability to be able to talk with somebody and say, I need help or nobody understands because you would be amazed at how many people do understand. And, and that's the whole thing is, is just finding your people, you're not an alien who's dropped to earth. There are others. You just may not recognize them, but they're all out there. And there are so many people willing to help. And I appreciate you sp- spreading the word of the book. I really do. And uh, it was really good talking to you. Tremendous. Thank-, Thank you. 
Thank you, Erin Davis. She is a podcaster. She's the 2020 Canadian Broadcast Hall of Fame inductee and a best-selling author of Morning Has Broken, an excellent book. It's available online and in bookstores. Once again, Erin, I really appreciate you being on the show with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Executor Help Podcast. For more details, visit davidedy.com or follow David on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. 